The year is 1926, and a quiet community on the island of Australia is recovering from the death and grief caused by a war that swallowed the world. It is in this setting that one man meets a woman. They fall in love. Their small family begins living on an isolated island off the coast, guarding a lighthouse. Away from the eyes of anyone they've ever known, isolated and left to their own devices, they will make a decision and cross a line to a place from which they can never return. The man and woman, Tom and Isabel. The book, The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Studman. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Hey, readers. Hey, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, in lieu of a theme of the week, just like last week, we're going to do Society Says. How do you feel about that? I'm all game for that. Guys! Guys! Caramel! Hi, Ramel. Now it's time for Society (laughs) Says, where we share your comments with the rest of our Lit Society. Alexis, is there a comment from one of our listeners that you thought particularly lit this week? Yeah, I found one from Instagram. Um, This is from 1267 Mindaboo. Mindaboo. Hey, Mindaboo. Okay. Okay. I think that's it. Anyway, sorry if I matched that. It says, I'm a new listener and I cannot get enough. That's an all capture. I absolutely love the reviews of The Silent Patient, where the crawdads sing, The Great Gatsby, Animal Farm. And I could not agree more with your opinions on little fires everywhere. I'm so happy to have found my dream podcast. Yes. I'm about to start the maidens tomorrow and I have high hopes. <laughs> love that. I love that. <laughs> That's good for you. Have high hopes, but thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, did yeah, y'all thank read you the for maidens? Listening. Let us know on Instagram what y'all thought of that book. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> Kari, did you have a comment that you thought was particularly lit? Yes, this too comes from Instagram and this is from CPC.2014 and they're commenting about Stolen Lives. Remember that book? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that was a lot. So they Uh, say, this is the first time I stopped listening so that I could read the book first and then continue listening to the podcast. I didn't want to hear the spoilers. It was worth the wait. Her story was unbelievable. I still can't get over what those children lived through, but I enjoyed Mm -hmm. listening to you and Alexis' thoughts while experiencing the same emotions. Yes, thank you, CPC 2014. Yeah, Yeah. that that book was really intense. And um. It took us like to a little dark place a little bit. It did. Um, but that, mm-hmm. That's a nonfiction book. And those stories are so important to tell. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for listening. 
Well, readers, if you have a comment you'd like to share with us and the Lit Society, there's so many ways you can get in contact with us. You can go ahead and see us on Instagram, uh, even Twitter. Y'all, y'all really be holding it down on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, you can go over to Facebook. We ain't been on Facebook since when, Alexis? 19? Um, it don't matter. We don't even know how to log into our Facebook. Mm-hmm, what year was mm-hmm. it? 42. Yeah, 1942. We was on the Facebooks. Mm-hmm. But go ahead, mm-hmm. you know, leave a comment over there. Facebook is your thing. Thank you. If you want mm-hmm. us to see it, YouTube is also another option. And some of you have even written to our show. You can find the address at LitSocietyPod.com. Well, let's take a quick break and continue on with a review of this week's book, The Light Between Oceans. How does that sound? Sounds great. All right. <laughs> some context regarding our author M.L. Stedman. Is this Oprah's man? Like, did he decide to become an author? Who is Stedman? Tell us. Okay, so I didn't find a lot of information about this our This is author. Oprah's man. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, M.L. stands for Margot Louise. So Margot Louise Stedman was born and raised in Australia and now lives in London. This book was published in 2012 and is Stedman's debut novel. There was a film adaptation that was released in September 2016. Are you familiar with it, Kari? Only because I was looking up information on this book. So I haven't seen the movie. I know it stars the girl that played Kitty and one of the iterations of um, Tolstoy's Anna Karenina and Fassbender, which y'all just yeah, really Fassbender. left Fassbender so quick. He was supposed to be huge. We was liking Fassbender. What happened? <laughs> did, but he in this movie. And I think it's but, interesting that the author is a woman because uh-huh. I was really shocked by how what I thought to be a male author portrayed uh-huh. the pain that the female protagonist goes through. So yeah, that's interesting. You. But let me add, I, I forgot. I do have a little bit of something Ooh. about our author. So writer, director, Joseph Nibel alleged that Margot Lewis Watts, AKA Stepman knowingly and willfully copied, plagiarized, pirated and misappropriated expressive content from his screenplay titled The Root Cutter. It it was later retitled, but it was originally copyrighted in 2001. On January 26, 2017, he filed a suit against her and the publishers, um, which is Simon & Schuster and then DreamWorks. And in spite of the defendant's admission of having access and um, probative copying Mm -hmm. of the plaintiff's screenplay, the court ruled against um, Nobel on October 16, 2017, and granted the defendant, Stedman, um, them to pay her fees. Mm-hmm. So that that's a really interesting piece about our author. Yeah, so I didn't know that. And as you presented that information, I found some um some additional details online Mm -hmm. and the things that are similar 
I mean, so an author finds inspiration in the world around them and the art around them. And mm-hmm. just from what I can see, a lot of these um, points that are the same in both works don't necessarily constitute plagiarism because there's an entire story around these things, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like the ori- the root cutter's story was the same, even though these elements in it are the same. And they pro- the author, Stebbin, may have borrowed some of these um elements like the plight of the uh, couple once they get to the island um, Mm -hmm. the things that they go through a few of those seem to be similar that's really interesting I find oftentimes when we have though a work that was very prolific you know people claim copyright out of the woodwork and Sometimes they write like that's from like the beginning of time, like even 1984, a book we love. That's that's that Mm -hmm. that that story is borrowed heavily from a lot of other works. Well, thank you for that context, Alexis. Very juicy. And may I ask that you please provide us with a spoiler free, a little brief spoiler free synopsis of The Light Between Oceans. Mm -hmm. Devastated by loss, a woman and her husband decide to keep their Gifts from God changing their life forever. Gift from God was in quotation marks. Y'all mm-hmm. can see it. Yeah. Kari, <laughs> who do you think would enjoy reading this book? If you loved Anna Karenina, if you like storytelling that Ooh. is very layered, characters that are fully developed, you're going to know where they are and why they do what they do. Even if they don't explicitly tell you, you know so much about their background that their why is very clear to you. If you like that level of detail, I think you may be interested in this book. Also, it's been a long time since I couldn't put a book down. Um, Now, we've read some books that I've really loved in the last few episodes, uh, but I could put them down and pick them up. They were almost like vacations uh, Mm. from from life. This book, though, I have to admit right away, I could not put it down. So usually I try to read like part one as we're discussing it. I'm almost done with this book. (laughs) Anyway... um, (laughs) Alexis, can I ask you, why did you choose uh, The Light Between Oceans? Like, how did this come up on your radar? So listen, mm-hmm. I was in the England with the friends and they were talking about different books and movies. And one movie they were talking about led to a conversation about this and they were talking about the movie. Um, and I said, I think. And so I said, is there a book? I'm, whenever I hear there's a movie, I always check and see if there's a book Smart. so I can read it. Yeah. So I found the book and chose to read it. They said it was really interesting. So I haven't seen the movie, though. Yeah. If somebody put so much money into making a movie about it, I assume the book is like halfway decent. Mm-hmm. Now, there are times when the book <laughs> is bad and a great movie comes from it. Yeah, Actually, I can only that. think of one time. <laughs> Uh, that's the devil wears product. We don't have to talk about it. But anyway, um, thank you for that. And thank you to the friends who I believe listen to this show and yeah. who uh, recommended this book. So, Alexis, are you ready to start the show, really, with our deep dive into The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman? Yeah, let's get into okay, it. Okay, you have the floor. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> so let's jump back. Oh, wait, back. wait. Y'all, this is a video podcast. Go watch us on YouTube. Thank you. And you know what? Even if you don't want to watch us, just play it in the background. Please like, subscribe, and comment. Okay, go do it. We'll give you time. Okay, thank you. Oh, thank y'all. I appreciate it. Thank Hmm. you. Y'all the best. You are. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump to 
April 27th, 1926, okay? Izzy is kneeling near a cross on the edge of a cliff, planting a rosemary bush and saying a prayer to herself as she hears an infant crying. She ignores the sound, but she hears it again. It's impossible, she thinks, as she hears the cry getting louder. Izzy is on an island, Janus Rock, which is 100 miles from from the mainland. Next, she hears Tom yelling to her that a boat is on the beach. He sees someone in it, but the man is slumped over. Izzy's now standing next to Tom, and Tom can... Well, they can both hear the cries of an infant. So Tom jostles the man and determines that he's dead. Tom pulls out um, a woolen bundle and a woman's cardigan is wrapped around it. And what's inside is a screaming infant. Shocked, Izzy tells Tom to give her the baby. Izzy assesses and cuddles the baby while Tom assesses the man and confirms he's dead. Tom tells Izzy to take the baby up to the house and Tom cares for the dead man. He goes to the house and then he notices how Izzy is caring for the baby. And Izzy tells Tom it's a girl and that she's given her some milk and a bath. And Tom tells Izzy, it makes me think how things might have been. But then he quickly says, you look like you were born into it. And and Izzy completely understands what he's saying to her. Tom tells Izzy he's going to send a signal to report the dinghy so a boat can be sent for the body and the baby. Izzy convinces Tom that there's no need to rush and sending for a signal, at least not yet. I mean, nothing's going to, the body's not going to go away anytime soon. And the baby's been through enough already, she says. So Izzy says, leave it a while. It'll take hours for them to get there. Let's just wait. He tells Izzy, it's all got to go in the log. He has an obligation to report everything immediately. Izzy asks him to do it in the morning. Tom tells Izzy that the baby's mother is going to be looking for her. Consider if it were you were in the mother's shoes. In the end, Izzy convinces Tom to hold off on signaling about the boat, the dead man and the baby. She likes you, he said, then almost to himself. Makes me think of how things might have been, he added quickly. I mean, I I, I didn't mean... You look like you were born to it, that's all. He stroked her cheek. Isabel glanced up at him. I know, love. I know what you mean. I feel the same. He put his arms around his wife and the child. Isabel could smell the brandy of his breath. She murmured, Oh, Tom, thank God we found her in time. Tom kissed her, then put his lips to the baby's forehead. The three of them stay like that for a long moment until the child began to wriggle, thrusting a fist out from under the blanket. Well, Tom gave a stretch as he stood up. I'll go and send a signal, report the dinghy, get them to send a boat for the body and for Miss Muffet here. Not yet, Isabel said as she touched the baby's fingers. I mean... There's no rush to do it right this minute. The poor man's not going to get any worse now. 
and this little chicken's had quite enough of boats for the moment, I'd say. Leave it a while. Give her a chance to catch her breath. It'll take hours for them to get here. She'll be all right. You've already quieted her down, little thing. Let's just wait. After all, it can't make much difference. It's all got to go in the log, pet. You know I've got to report everything straight away, Tom said, for his duties included noting every significant event at or near the light station, from passing ships and weather to problems with the apparatus. Do it in the morning, eh? But what if the boat's from a ship? It's a dinghy, not a lifeboat, she said. Then the baby's probably got a mother waiting for it somewhere on shore, tearing her hair out. How would you feel if it was yours? You saw the cardigan. The mother must have fallen out of the boat and drowned. Sweetheart, we don't have any idea about the mother or about who the man was. It's the most likely explanation, isn't it? Infants don't just wander off from their parents. Izzy, anything's possible. We just don't know. When did you ever hear of a tiny baby setting off in a boat without its mother? She held the child a fraction closer. This is serious. The man's dead, Is, And the baby's alive. Have a heart, Tom. Something in her tone struck him. And instead of simply contradicting her, he paused and considered her plea. Perhaps she needed a bit of time with the baby. Perhaps he owed her that. There was a silence, and Isabel turned to him in wordless appeal. I suppose, at a pinch, he conceded, the words coming with great difficulty, I could leave the signal until the morning. First thing, though, as soon as the light's out, Isabel kissed him and squeezed his arm. Better get back to the lantern room. I was in the middle of replacing the vapor tube, he said. As he walked down the path, he heard the sweet notes of Isabel's voice as she sang. Blow the wind southerly, southerly, southerly. Blow the wind south o'er the bonny blue sea. Though the music was tuneful, it fell to comfort him as he climbed the stairs of the light, fending off a strange uneasiness at the concession he had made. Sometimes we start a book and it expertly throws you into the middle of the story without context. And when that part is so gripping, a book it reminds me of is Black Cake, where we're starting in the drama. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is expert mm-hmm. storytelling. Like, that's what they teach you is that no one wants to know how it happened, yet they want to know what happened. And then you tell them why they should care. Mm. So you should grip them with that strong, you know, visceral feeling around the event and then give them backstory, which is what they're doing here. And it's brilliant. And this book definitely does that. Mm-hmm. Let's flash back to December 16th, 1918. Okay, let's introduce you to Tom. Tom was born in September 1893, had spent time in the war, and now he's interviewing to take a post with the Lighthouse Service. Um, His interviewer, the interviewer was telling Tom how difficult the job would be, but Tom told him that the job couldn't be any tougher than being on the Western Front, which is the main place of fighting um, in World War I. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the man agreed and gave Tom the job. As a permanent light keeper, he would have one month of leave at the end of each three-year contract. Within 18 months, Tom accepted a six-month relief post at the unpopular Janice Rock. So he's on the boat to Janice Rock. Um, and while on the boat, Tom would have like regular nightmares about the war. <laughs> and so to escape these nightmares, he would get up and take a walk on the deck. OK. And as he's walking on the deck, he noticed a light from one of the cabins and felt um, kind of a sense of trouble. And when he got to the cabin, he noticed a woman that was lying flat against the wall and she was pinned there by a man who wasn't really touching her. Um, but he was an inch from her face. So Tom stepped in a cabin, tells the man to leave her alone. The man is grinning, thinking Tom would assist him at his game. And Kari, do you want to talk a little bit about the game? Yeah. So these are hardened men and they're playing cruel games uh, where because remember that they've been through war, like you said. And so their yeah. um, understanding of emotion and consequences, uh, those feelings are very jaded, OK, to say the least. So their game is. Um, one of us has to bring back women's underwear and you get extra points if they're on her. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like yeah. assault, right? Yeah, it um, does. So All that's the, the game they've decided to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Tom's not into that game. OK, but he knows the people have lost their sense of who they are, really. Yeah, who they are and right and wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm, right and wrong. Um, but Tom tells the man, tells the man, get out. And he called um he called for his name and rank after the man tried to take a punch of him. Um, Tom tells the man to apologize to the woman. And after the man leaves, Tom tells the woman that she could press charges if she wanted to. Yeah, she, he's like, listen, this man has been through a lot and just living his life is prison enough. Um, but it's really up to you because who knows what he was going to do. Obviously, you're frightened. She had her nightgown like up by yeah. her neck. You know, she's really terrified and she's on the mm -hmm. boat alone. Right. Right. There's yep. like a lawyer couple. There's there are people that no one's going to mess with. And then there's her. And so yeah, they're they're picking on her or that man was at least. And um, Tom is like, if you it's it's really up to you. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he saves so, her gallantly. Yes. Yes. So but before Tom arrives at Janice Rock, he was dropped off at Port Patagiers. Um Four times a year, a boat from Port Patagiers is drops off supplies at Janice Rock. But Pat Port Patagiers is the small community in which the, the that's the mainland closest to Janice Rock. Right. Mm -hmm. And while Tom um, waited to be shipped to Janice Rock, he wandered around Patagiers and came across a girl feeding seagulls. The girl pulled him into his game of who can feed or get more seagulls to come to him. And they played the game and Tom um, plays with this young girl for a little bit. And then he leaves to meet up um, with the housing place that he's going to stay before he leaves to Janice Rock. And then that evening he meets the harbor master and at the harbor master's house for dinner, Captain Hasluck has invited several of the locals, which included the young girl that was feeding the seagulls. And by young, and she's like 19. 
Yeah. And but we don't know this yet. Right. But in the book, I kind of felt like, is this a five year old? Get away from her. <laughs> no, it was weird because you like you really don't know. Yeah. And she's acting very juvenile. So, you, you yeah. know, it's easy to think she was younger than she was. And her name is Grace Isabel Graysmark. The next day, Tom boards the Windward Spirit and it's helmed by old Ralph and Bluey and they take Tom to Janice Rock. And over the next three months, Tom got to know the island and shaped a routine for himself um, filled with his responsibilities. Three months pass and the Windward Spirit arrived with supplies and mail. Among the mail Tom received was a letter um, not a letter giving him news about his father and brother, but from Isabel Graysmark, the young girl he was that was playing with the seagulls. The letter hoped he wasn't. She said, I hope you weren't too lonely. And she asked him to stop by before he heads out to his next post. Because remember, this is just a six month stint. Mm -hmm. The letter made Tom smile and he took time to write up a response for Isabel. So he quickly goes and writes a response. He asked old Ralph to mail it. um, But old Ralph says, I'll deliver it by hand. Yeah, he's like, I know this couple. This is like mm -hmm. the man who taught all the children in school and I'll give it to his family. Yeah. And instead of getting a new post in three months, Tom is actually summoned to take Janice, the Janice post on permanently. And after completing the paperwork for his permanent post, Captain Haslock tells Tom not to underestimate the importance of the right wife. Mm -hmm. He told him um, it took a special kind of woman to live on the lights. He said, when you find the right one, snap her up quick. And Tom is replacing the lighthouse keeper that was there before. That lighthouse keeper was removed from his position because his wife kept heralding down ships. And that's dangerous because the ship could uh, run aground or whatever um, coming too close to the land. But that's also terrible because uh, that wife had been dead for like a while. (laughs) So obviously someone's lying. (laughs) Yeah. And going a little crazy in their grief and isolation. Yeah. So that tells you like how the job is and what it can do to people. Yeah. So for the next two weeks, Tom and Isabel saw each other every day because he's got two weeks before he officially takes the post. And so he spends it with Isabel. Isabel tried to learn as much as she could about Tom. But Tom is a quiet man uh, and he doesn't share much. He told her that he had a brother. His mother was dead and he didn't keep up with his father. Mm -hmm. Um, Isabel shared everything about herself. And uh, and after the two weeks ended, she was like, I love this man. <laughs> and Tom was surprised at how much he looked forward to seeing Isabel. So at the end of that two weeks, Isabel asked Tom to take her with him. So this Janice reminded Rock. me of the quote unquote courtship from our last book. It did. Me, I, too. <laughs> me too. I said, well, if it can work for Izzy and Tom, it can work for Mark and Tabby. But it can't no, work for Mark and Tabby. That's, that's not, that's not at all the logic I pulled. Mm-mm, yeah, if you can't, mm-mm. if you don't understand what we said, go listen to the last uh, episode too. It ain't going to work for Mark and Tabby. Yeah, yeah, that's not at all. I pulled, no. you see how much time they spend <laughs> together and then wrote letters to each other? Yes, yeah, there's communication there. Obviously, they are both invested in this relationship and it's actually very cute. Like, yeah, it's 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 courting. 
Yeah, it's courting. It's actually courting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom was like, listen, you don't even know me. It's a hundred reasons why you can't come with me. Duh. Only, I'm old. See? I've been through war. I yeah. live on an island by myself. <laughs> like, yeah. what more do you, what other reasons you need? <laughs> and you see how he responded? Mm-hmm. He was like, I don't even know you like that. And they was together for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's like, also only went the only woman that's allowed on the island is a wife. So and, okay, she and was like, like well, marry, marry me. me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Isabel told Tom that if she was serious about um, that, she, Isabel told Tom she was serious about marrying him, and Tom told her that she was too young and inexperienced, and perhaps she should think it over while he returned to Janice Rock. And in twelve months she would have forgotten about him. So he goes back to Janice Rock and they write each other every three months. They were married at the end of one year, y'all. Mm-hmm. Soon after Isabel is pregnant, she writes her mother, proud to share her news and asks Tom if they should write his dad and brother. And Tom said there was no need. Isabel consents in his response that she should let it go. And side note, Tom tracked down his mother when he was 21 um, with the help of a private detective. And when he arrived at her location, he learned that his mother had died three weeks earlier. Okay, back to present. One evening during a thunderstorm, Tom thought of his father as the storm covered Isabel's cries for help. Mm -hmm. Isabel was miscarrying and Tom could do nothing to help her. He wanted to call a doctor, but Isabel refused to let him. She didn't see the point. Um, The baby was already dead. And Tom tried to comfort her um, and said there would be another baby. They'd have five. Days later, Tom is on the cliff and he, he hammers a small cross to the ground with the date 31 May 1922 remembered always Mm -hmm. and he dug a hole for the rosemary bush she had moved from the herb garden so now let's jump to april 27th back to april 27th 1926 where isabel is headed to the cliff to sit by the graves um, and tend to the new one with care the graves of her three um, miscarried children the last one being as recent as two weeks Anyway, so Tom thought about the importance of documenting everything that happens in the lighthouse. He thought about the logbook. It was second nature for him to report any and everything that might have significance because he was bound by the rules of his employment and by the Commonwealth law. Yeah. What he logged might be a piece to a larger puzzle and a piece that only he could contribute. And it was vital that he do so. So to not report the man and, and the dead man and the baby, Tom knew that was wrong. A man was dead. People should be notified. And he thought back to two weeks ago when he found Isabel lying on the kitchen floor. She was groaning and saying something was wrong. The baby came quickly. It was small and bloody. It made no movements and uttered no sound. He held it in his hands, not knowing what to do. But Isabel screamed for her baby. She said, give me my baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a boy. 
Isabel tells Tom that she doesn't want to tell her parents. And Tom tells her they'll want to know. They'll be worried. They're expecting you. Isabel tells Tom that it's our business. She tells him she'll send a letter when the boat comes again in June. But Isabel is just not ready and she doesn't want to disappoint her parents with the loss. So we've spent time with the couple at this point. We've gotten to know them, um, how they kind of fit each other. Um, But this is a reoccurring trauma for them. Um, Tom, though, is very much fixated on one Uh, caring for Isabel and caring for, like you said, his duty. He is a man of duty. Mm -hmm. Isabel is very fixated now on having her children because she's repeatedly lost uh, uh, children. So when the stillborn happens in the middle of the kitchen and it's described beautifully, um, agonizingly, um, we feel what they feel in this moment. Tom doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to care for Isabel, which is his number one priority. Hers, again, is for her children, her number one priority. So she takes the baby, uh, they bathe it, and they lay it out on the um, kitchen table, I think. And it's a very dignified way to honor this life that was or could have, you know, and that could have been. And she has some shame that she can't, her body cannot hold these children. She doesn't know why. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of shame there. She doesn't want to repeatedly um, let down her parents and everyone she knows, mostly her parents, though. Another disappointment. She's like, how come this has to be everyone's business? Yeah. You know, let's keep it private. Yeah. So Tom gives in and he doesn't log the loss. Um, he considered this was different. It's a personal matter. Right. And he didn't have the same leeway, though, with the dinghy. So the boat that the dead man was in. So, so a dead the- man and a orphaned baby, possibly yeah. orphaned baby, uh, means someone else is involved. Another party should be notified. Someone could be looking for these people. Right. And Isabel convinces him there's no harm in just waiting one day. Yeah. <laughs> Let me spend time with the baby. You owe me that. And Mm. he considers, yes, maybe I do. He don't. He don't. He don't. (laughs) But that's how he looks at it, because his number one priority is to care for his wife. Mm -hmm. So So when the steamer arrived the following morning, um, Tom debated whether he should leave a space for the. So life is going on. Right. And there's a steamer that's going by. And so he's. He's got to log that steamer coming by. So he's like, should I leave a space for the dinghy and the baby? I don't know. And the dead man. (laughs) And the dead man. He said the log would be truthful, but it'll be late because at this point he's still feeling like he's going to report it. Later that day, um, he would find Isabel nursing the baby from her breast. And Isabel told Tom, was the most natural thing she could do. So what do you think about this part? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. She's being a mother. And I can tell at this point she is claiming the baby as her own. So do you think her actions are inappropriate at this moment? Um, No, not at this moment, because, you know, she still has milk having just lost a baby or because the baby is so new and her loss is so fresh, it's natural. We don't know how long it'll take the 
steamer to come or excuse mm-hmm. me, the boat to come and get them. That's not very clear to me how long that is. So at this point, I could just see that she's sustaining the baby the natural way until yeah. she gets back to her mother. And it's awkward for Tom to see his wife with her breast out nursing a child that is not theirs after they just lost this, their um, son. So he's uncomfortable because now he's like, she's getting emotionally attached to this child that we're definitely giving to the authorities. And she's just like, calm down. We don't know how long the baby was on the boat. It needs food. And alone that without context, that's per- that actually makes beautiful sense that her body naturally produces something that can sustain this child. But we are also clearly in Tom's shoes where he feels uneasy about mm. the whole situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, she she's at peace just looking in this child's eyes, falling in love with this child Naming as the she child. is replacing her um, miscarriages and her stillborn with the baby in her hands. It is it is excruciating, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she even gave the baby a name, Lucy. So there you go. So there we go. We done named the baby. We breastfeeding <laughs> it at the table, singing his yeah. songs. Yeah. Probably didn't. We given all the, the, the clothing that she's made. And one thing too about Isabel, she prepared well for her pregnancies and that she educated herself on how to be the best mom, especially the, with the first pregnancy. She was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, she read all the books. She prepared clothing. And now she has all of this information and dressers of clothing for babies that never came. Mm. So little Lucy... This baby that she found in a boat at the most perfect time is getting all of this love like a damn burst. All of this love that was supposed to be for her children. She is now lavishing onto the baby they found in the boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's like, if the baby had a mother, it would have never that mother obviously fell overboard because no mother would leave a baby alone in a boat. If, you know, if that mother loved the child, that just wouldn't happen. And Tom, you don't understand because you're not a woman. Yeah. And you owe me. Okay. Yeah. That's what she says. And so she's really reasoning with him, her need to keep the baby. And so the next morning she told Tom she should keep the baby. And to save the child from going to an orphanage. No, no, no. She goes, can you pass the sugar? By the way, I was thinking we should keep the baby. And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) What? Stop. Listen, I didn't log your health issue because that was personal and you made the decision. As Alexis said, asking me not to log an actual dead man that washes against our shore with a living baby crosses a line. That's not Mm -hmm. who I am. Mm -hmm. It's wrong. It's morally wrong. Okay. And she's like, listen, you sound crazy. (laughs) For real. She's like, no, no, no. We're going to keep the baby. It's going to be fine because the baby is an orphan. If you tell the authorities, they will put it in one of those terrible orphanages. And when I was little or a lot younger, I went to an orphanage with my friend who had a secret baby when she was young and she couldn't take the baby home. And the baby looks so sad. Believe me, you never want to see an orphanage because it's the saddest place on earth. And you don't want little Lucy to be in a place like that. That's right. 
girl. And, and Tom's like, stop, just stop. <laughs> Even if it's just us for the rest of our lives, that'll be okay for me. And, and she like, I don't know why you telling me that. That's not like a you issue. <laughs> me and Lucy going to uh, watch TV. I'm just kidding. They didn't have TV. Yeah. But, um, yeah, That's it happens right. quick. It, it happens quick. And of course, there was no other way for it to go. Once yep. he bent a little, she made him break his rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She didn't make mm-hmm. him. Excuse me. She didn't make him because he's a grown man. But uh, he, he yielded to his, his wife. He, he yielded to his wife. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he pushed the boat with the dead body back out into the sea. In the process, he found a silver rattle embossed with cherubs and hallmarked. She did. And the, it should be noted that the body wasn't in the boat when he pushed it out to sea. Oh, it wasn't. It doesn't make sense. So what did he do with the body? Yeah, so girl, he buried it with his own two hands. And he starts thinking about the war and how when he saw his first basically pile of dead bodies, he vomited because it was just so disgusting. The smell, it was horrific. But by the, as he really got into the war as a soldier, he would look for the bodies that had limbs blown off because they were lighter and easier to bury. Mm -hmm. And as he's burying this stranger, his limbs feel, it's like muscle memory. His body already knows what to do. His mind doesn't even need to be in action. He knows how to bury a body if he knows nothing else. And so in a quiet corner on their island, he buries that man he didn't even know and says a prayer. And that's all the, the ceremony that that man gets as uh, that man's daughter, we assume, is being nursed by Tom's wife up in mm-hmm. the house. And this is a lonely island where don't nobody got checks and balances and stuff is going on now. Yeah. So is- Isabel tells Tom that the baby is an answer to their prayers. So why should they turn away this gift from God? The next morning, Isabel stands beside Tom as he taps out a signal, carefully worded. Baby arrived early. Stop. Took us both by surprise. Stop. Isabel recovering well. Stop. No need for medical help. Stop. Little girl. Stop. Lucy. Isabel told Tom that Um, the weight should be included in that message as well. And Isabel quickly came back with a weight and Tom was so surprised by how easy it was for Isabel to come up with a lie. Isabel was doing better and Tom continued to reason on his decision. Um, And Isabel was really showing Tom how appreciative she was for him um, agreeing with her for the baby to stay. So when old Ralph and Bluey arrive uh, mid-June and they give all the congratulations and they notice the silver rattle. And when Isabel says that it was a previous gift, Isabel sends a letter to her parents. As time goes on, Isabel... um, She was pregnant again and she's like, wow, little Lucy's going to have a brother or sister. Yeah. So the blood would come... And she would just keep miscarrying. So Tom would get regular reminders of his duties and responsibilities as a light keeper, as, of course, the days and time goes on. 
Tom's second three-year term comes to an end just before Christmas of 1927, and the family makes their first visit to Point Portageers. The couple's second shore leave and Lucy's first trip mainland, Isabel tries to find an excuse to stay behind, um, but that doesn't work out. When they get to the mainland, they take pictures, they meet family. Um, they take in those compliments. They're like, uh, she looks just like Auntie Clem. Such a blessing. <laughs> God doesn't make mistakes. He sent the little girl to the right place. So Isabel's brothers died in the war. And this is actually really heart wrenching because mm-hmm. they got a note that one of their sons is dead. Yeah. And they're grieving. They're like, oh, no, we can't believe our other son is out there alone now. Uh, We can't believe our boy is gone. How is this possible? Turns out the letter they got was a mistake because they actually should have received another letter about the other boy because both boys died. (laughs) So someone wrote a a note saying, I saw your son um, toward the end. I was his caretaker. I made sure he was well cared for. Um, We showed him love. And toward the end, we even uh, gave him tulips. And and that's the note. That's the note saying that half their family is gone Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. You know, it's like so the dad completely shut down. The mother is just making it the best way she can. And that's the environment that and and Isabel, Izzy really loved her brothers. Mm -hmm. So when she heard that they, they died, she was like, I can't I forget his name. But one of the brothers that died, she was really close to. Let's say his name was Herb. I don't know. When she heard Herb died, she was like, I can't wait to tell Herb the tragic news. And I understand that, like. No, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And, and the person you want to tell is the one that's gone. Yeah. Because that's that's like a connection that you have with that person. Anyway, it was really well described. So, yeah, that's the environment that Isabel grew up in, this grief. Yeah. Okay. So her, her parents are wounded by these, this loss. And so Lucy being born, being kept by Isabel seems to restore the parents and confirms that Isabel made the right decision about Lucy. In Isabel's mind, it does. So Lucy gives new life to these grandparents. They're, they're like, life is worth living again because little Lucy is perfect. And we're so happy that we got to see this grandchild born. They don't know nothing. And how old is Lucy now? I think she's like three or Yeah, I think two or three. So they didn't even see the newborn years or months. They meet her as a toddler and she just really captures their heart. She's two. And they're like, all is well, you know, life is worth living again. Yeah. Her her mom told um, Isabel's mom told Tom that Lucy was like a magic tonic. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And Isabel's dad even suggested that Tom move back to part Mm -hmm. of Jeers. Yeah, this is interesting, too, because Mm -hmm. Tom hates everything about this, everything except Lucy, Mm -hmm. who he's completely fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. And so they have this really special relationship. She's like, you know, Dada, pick me up, tell me a story. And he's just swallowed in her eyes. He just loves everything about this little girl. And the granddad is watching him and he's like, Tom, you're the perfect dad. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Why why don't you quit your job and move to the mainland so we can see our grandbaby? Yeah. yeah. And Tom has an interesting answer because um the granddad is like, you can do anything, you know, you if you set your mind to it, you can do anything. <laughs> and Tom's like, Well, if I set my mind to it, I can leave my wife. It don't make it right. <laughs> because those are his duties, his wife yeah. and his job. And yeah. he ain't gonna leave either. Yeah. He's like, it wouldn't be right to the Commonwealth if I just kept packed up and left because I got a child, you know? Mm-hmm. I have a duty. So Tom signs on for three more years. Yeah. Okay. And while they're there, Isabel decides to go to the doctor because she promised Tom that she would see the doctor when she was back on the mainland. And he talks about, she tells the doctor about her experiences, her experiences. And the doctor tells her that she's experiencing the change of life early and that her symptoms will pass within a year, but she should be glad she's already had a baby because she won't be able to have any more. So while waiting, because uh, it's time for since they're here, they're going to get the baby baptized. So while they're waiting for the reverend to arrive, um, they're standing next to gravestones that belong to a baby and the father who drowned. Fresh flowers were laid less than an hour before. So old Ralph and his wife tell Isabel the story. They say a woman named Hannah married a German and her family cut her off from money and the couple lived in a rundown cottage. But when the baby was born, the woman's father came around. Well, it seems as if the father got into into it with some locals because he was German and the father of the baby ended up taking the baby and jumping into a rowboat and leaving. Well, the father had um, some poor health And so when a storm come came, no one heard from them again. So they disappeared. They the father jumps in the boat and they disappear. No one hears. So they assume he drowned both the girl's father. um, The woman that was married put up a reward for information, but no one came forward with information. And the woman whose um, husband and child were in the boat, she never recovered. Her father persuaded her to put up the memorial a few months ago, and she wanders around like she's got no home, essentially. What happened? She asked as a tingling spread to her hands and feet. Ah, shocking, said Ralph with a shake of his head. Hannah Potts was... Isabel recognized the name immediately. Septimus Potts, old pots of money, they call him. Richest fella for miles. He came here from London 50 odd years back as an orphan with nothing. Made a fortune in timber. Wife died when his two girls were only small. What's the other one's name, Hilda? Gwen. Hannah's the oldest. Both went to that fancy boarding school up in Perth. Then a few years back, Hannah went and married a hunt. Well, old Potts wouldn't speak to her after that. Cut off the money. They lived in that rundown cottage by the pumping station. Old man finally came around when the baby was born. Anyway, there was a bit of a Barney on Anzac Day, year before last now. Now, Ralph, Hilda cautioned with a look, just telling them. This is hardly the time or the place. She turned to Isabel. Let's just say there was a misunderstanding between Frank Roenfeldt and some of the locals, and he ended up jumping into a rowboat with the baby. They, well... They took against him because he was German or as good as no need to go into all of that here at a christening and all better forgotten. Isabel had stopped taking breaths as she listened to the tale and now gave an involuntary gasp as her body clamored for air. (gasps) 
Yes, I know, Hilda said to show her agreement, and it gets worse. Tom glanced urgently at Isabel, his eyes wide, sweat beating on his lip. He wondered if it was possible for others to hear his heart beating. It was thundering so wildly. Well, the bloke was no sailor, Ralph went on. Had a clicky heart since he was a kid by all accounts. He was no match for these currents. Storm blew up and no one saw hide nor hair of them again. Must have drowned. Old man Potts put up a reward for information. A thousand guineas. He gave a shake of the head. That would have brought him out of the woodwork if anyone knew anything, even had a mind to look for them myself. Mind you, I'm no bocce lover, but the baby, barely two months old. You can't hold it against a baby now, can you? Little mite. Poor Hannah never recovered, sighed Hilda. <sighs> her father only persuaded her to put up the memorial a few months ago. She paused as she pulled her gloves up. Funny how life turns out, isn't it? Born to more money than you can shake a stick at went all the way to Sydney University to get a degree in something or other, married the love of her life, and you see her now sometimes, wandering about like she's got no home to go to. Now, Isabel felt plunged into ice as the flowers on the memorial taunted her, threatened her with the closeness of the mother's presence. She leaned against a tree, dizzy. Are you all right, dear? asked Hilda, concerned at the sudden change in her color. Yes, it's just that. It's just the heat. It'll be all right in a minute. The heavy jar doors swung open and the vicar stepped out of the church. All ready for the big day then, he asked, wincing at the light. After, list, after hearing this, Isabel looks sick, but she blames it on the heat. So Tom insists, Tom hears it as well. And so they go into the church to do the baptism. But before they even get there, Tom is like, we need to come forward right now. Isabel is like, I say what? I just remembered I didn't have a baby. <laughs> Isabel tells Tom that they are um, too far to stop. They're the only parents that Lucy knows and they can't stop now. She tells Tom they can talk Ain't about no it later. stopping us now. Mm -mm, essentially. We got a baby. <laughs> <laughs> she tells Tom they can talk about it later. And the vicar walks up and they have the ceremony. Before the service was over, Isabel excused herself to go vomit. She so he's like, think about this mom mm -hmm. that is in a catatonic state because of us. It's yeah. not fair. And Isabel goes, is it fair that I lost three children? And I'm like, false equivalencies? That's mm. that's not related. Yeah, it's not. This <laughs> that's one, tragic. But it's not related. Yeah. One doesn't have anything to do with the other. Mm -mm. So while they made it through the uh, ceremony, the lies and the truth were holding Tom hostage. So he took to the whiskey. Okay. So back at the hotel where they're staying while they're on the island, um, along with back at the hotel and along with Isabel, Tom asks, when are they going to tell? There's a woman wandering around, wondering where her husband and daughter is. And Isabel tells him that they have to be more thoughtful. They can't just do something they'll regret. 
They have to think about Lucy as well. And Tom tells Isabel that he needs fresh air. So he leaves the room. When Tom leaves, he overhears Isabel's parents talking about what a blessing it is to have Lucy in their life and how it has made a difference as they heal from the loss of their two sons. They get back to Janice Rock and Tom broaches the subject again. And Isabel tells him they can't undo what's happened. Tom says it's not fair to take her away from her living mother. And Isabel goes low, asking Tom, does he think it's fair that her brothers are dead thousands of miles away and that um, he's walking around without a scratch? Of course, it's not fair. Listen, Tom has survivor's guilt from the war. Yeah. Isabel knows that. Mm -hmm. Tom also isn't very forthcoming about what he's been through in life and she resents that. Mm -hmm. And so in order to stab him in the only way she knows how, so Tom hasn't been telling her everything about his trauma and his pain and good thing too, because she the type of woman that'll use it against you. As she uh, just did. As she, she used a little bit. She did know to hurt him. She said, is it fair that you're standing here living and breathing while my brothers are dead from the war? Also unrelated. This is like the last book again with Mark talking about my daddy, an alcoholic. <laughs> Listen, everybody stick to the subject. <laughs> We're not talking about me surviving personal. a war. Just... We're not talking about us losing children. We're talking about us stealing a baby. Mm-hmm. You think you can be in a court of law and they go, jury, yes, they stole this baby. However, Tom survived the war. <laughs> All right. Get out of here. <laughs> It's like we have to take Isabel says we got to take what life dishes out. She reminded him that they have to do what's right for Isabel. And she's and, great at twisting logic, at least to Tom, because she's like, you, you're you not thinking of Lucy. Mm-hmm. How would it feel for Lucy if we uprooted her from the only life she's ever known? Also, God gave us Lucy. Why are um, you questioning God? Yeah, that ain't right, Tom. Yeah. Isabel um, then prays that. The woman, Hannah Rowanfeld, um, the safely in God's hands, cares for her. <laughs> Thoughts and her prayers. Yes. Let's get our baby and go back to our mm-hmm. island. So let's talk a little bit about Hannah. Ooh, let's talk a little bit about Hannah. Hannah Rowanfeld, she checks the mailbox for letters. She went to the police station. This is what she does every day. Okay. Yeah. Since the loss of her family, she goes to a police station for updates. Um, She would write letters and toss them into the ocean in hopes that it would be absorbed by her loved ones. Then she would sit in the last pew of the church until the candles would melt and she couldn't avoid it. Uh, And when she couldn't avoid it any longer, she would go home and check the mailbox again. And for Mm -hmm. two years. Two years, she's written to anyone she could think of, hospitals, port authorities, whoever, but only received assurances that they would let her know if there was any news. The Monday following Lucy's baptism, though, Hannah received a letter and it said, don't fret her. The baby is safe, loved and well cared for and always will be. Your husband is at peace. Are y'all hearing this? 
Hannah's family, her husband, who she loved, was chased off the island by some xenophobic locals who are mad about Germans in the war. So they chased him into a boat. Obviously, they were chasing the whole family. He gave yeah. she gave him the baby. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. He runs for safety with the baby into a boat. He drowns. The baby lives. The baby is kidnapped by the couple on island but the mama don't know that so the mama has never received the body of her husband or her baby she is holding out hope for years everyone thinks she's crazy yes she goes to the mailbox and there's a note that says yo baby good pray for me pray for you the letter <laughs> continues it says your husband is at peace in god's hand i hope this brings you comfort pray for me as Kari said Hannah calls her sister to read the letter and then they take it to her dad. Hannah asks who would do this. Um, they call the police. They talk to the police about it. The police said it's probably somebody making mischiefs and don't talk about it um, to anybody. We don't want to encourage copycats. Hannah mm -hmm. reasons that it doesn't make sense for someone to send this to her out of the blue so her daughter must be alive her father told her he would raise the reward to two thousand pounds and the police make a report about hannah's letter so what happened to hannah's husband so there's a national day of remembrance in australia and new zealand uh, it's called the anzac day and it's in 1915 that's when it started okay so and it's a day when the police kind of turn a blind eye and some even join in to the events of the day. So I thought this was like a Memorial Day. Yeah. The beer is flowing. Everybody's ready to take a swing at the designated hate group. And in this case, the closest thing was a German. And that is who Frank Rohenfeld is. He and his wife are being... Um, um, what do you call Chased it? by a Chase. mob. <laughs> Chased and um, attacked because they're calling her a German lover. They're calling her a German lover. But he's actually Australian. I think this says. Anyway, as a couple are walking through he's the street. Austrian. Austrian, excuse me. Yes, <laughs> mm -hmm. he's Austrian. As the couple walk through the streets, um, uh, the people from the pub are following them and they're teasing them and they're hazing them and Hannah threatens to call the police because she knows some of the boys and but they persist they persist and, and Hannah, she looks up and the police are watching and laughing mm -hmm. and Hannah tells Frank to save Grace that is the baby Girl. So their lives are in jeopardy, all three of them. Yeah. There's a drunk mob chasing them mm -hmm. <laughs> and they start ripping off like they take off her husband's hat and it's clear that they want to, you know, take a swing at him, maybe even her. And th th this couple's holding their brand new newborn yeah. and the police are doing nothing, watching and laughing. Yeah. So Frank runs with the baby to the boat and he starts rowing to safety and um, and Hannah's like, just go away, find a place of safety until the mob comes down. And there's a storm. And then there's because a storm. Because of course there is. So there was a storm, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go back to Isabel and Tom. So life on Janice Rock goes back to normal until one day Tom receives news that his father died and had been trying to reach him since he enlisted in the war. His father wanted to make amends. Tom was surprised his father attempted to contact him. His father ended the letter by saying, until you are a father, you will not understand. 
His father's death and knowing that his father tried to reach him begins to eat at him. He wanted to get rid of the burden on his back. So one day while drinking with old Ralph, he asked if he had ever done anything wrong. Wrong. He asked old Ralph if he had ever done anything wrong. And Tom mm. was so frustrated. Um, he begged old Ralph to tell him what to do. Essentially, what decision should he make? He hasn't revealed anything to old Ralph, but he's got a desperation. So Tom made it seem as if his concerns were about the war. I uh, think old Ralph just assumed that because Tom is known to be a moral man. Mm-hmm. And so any regrets he have has can only be tied to the war. And Ralph is like, please, that is just war. Forgive yourself. Yeah. He said, concentrate what's best on you and for your family. Fellas upstairs are giving you the second chance. So I reckon um, he's not fussed about whatever you did back then. Stick to now. Put things, put the right, put right the things you can put right today and let the the ones go back. Let go of the other ones. He said, leave the rest to the angels. So that's important. So just going back to the dad's letter too briefly, um, Tom this whole time thought his mother hated him. Yeah. And left the family and that his dad for sure hated him because of his actions. He felt like his dad was overly cold growing up. He caught his mom having a man over that wasn't the father. And he innocently told the dad that there was a car outside uh, when he got home. You weren't here, dad. There was a car here. It turns out the mom was having an affair and this weight all all through growing up, because I think Tom was like five at the time. He grew up thinking he tore his family apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So by the mom giving him a locket, he wanted she always wanted him to have something of her. And the dad didn't think it was appropriate. So as the dad's dying, he makes sure that his son gets that locket. It's evidence that the mom never held a grudge against her child. Of course, you know, as an adult, that's, you know, of course. So that that the dad, too, Mm -hmm. actually loved him. So Mm -hmm. Tom is not from this loveless house. Um, Perhaps they did not show the love in the best way. And the mom definitely couldn't because she was separate separated from her family. Yeah. Uh, so this this like changes Tom's perspective a little too about life and what it means to be a parent. Yeah. So he really starts to think about that. So let's wrap it up. So there's a special event um, that allows Tom, Isabel and Lucy to have a shore leave. The event was to commemorate the day in which Janus Island was, or excuse me, Janus Rock was first lit. And that's January of 1890. At the event, Tom was approached by a woman who introduced him herself as the woman he saved on the boat all those years ago. Do y'all remember? Remember when the man was playing that cruel game on the boat and Tom stopped it and the woman had a nightgown around her neck and he was like, you can report it if you want. He was all gal and he was like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be fine, ma'am. He made the man harassing her apologize yeah. and then left her alone. She is on this small. What a coinkadink. What a coinkadink. who is she, Alexis? Well, she wanted to thank Tom. So so the program, um, the event program starts and the town mayor introduces the local benefactor and his daughters, who Tom quickly learns is Hannah Rowenfeld. Yeah, the woman he rescued on the boat. He done stole her baby unknowingly. It's her baby. Shocking. 
Tom is hit with another surprise when he's asked to speak at this event. <laughs> he didn't see that coming either. So Tom works out a speech and then he sits down. He's nervous. And the speech is strange. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh, that was a strange speech. OK, yeah. well, yeah. He's like, war, devastation, and regrets. (laughs) And they're like, okay, all right. Okay, all right. So after the program, Hannah is introduced to Isabel as she holds a tired Lucy and is told that she, Isabel, is the wife of Tom. Tom is anxious to leave the event and walks to Isabel and quickly realizes that she's speaking to Hannah Rowenfeld and her sister. Isabel introduces Tom and Hannah tells her sister. Um, or she tells Isabel. Your, tells your husband her sister, is very gallant. And, he saved me once. Yeah. He saved me many years ago. Hannah is overcome with emotion at the presence of Lucy, of course, who's about the age of her missing daughter. That she now believes is the same. About (laughs) still alive. And Tom bolts at the first opportunity to leave the party, uh, leaving behind leaving Isabel behind. Isabel must now deal with the shocking encounter with Hannah. And she prays that God bring peace to Hannah and let her keep Lucy safe. Time doesn't I think she come goes home. up a little too. It's pretty shocking to be confronted with the woman who you stole the child from, but she don't know. Yeah. And you know, relatable. <laughs> is it? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Time doesn't no, come home that evening. And that brings us to the end of part one. Oh! <laughs> Cliffhanger. So let's take a quick break. All right, let's do it. Give us a brief thought of how you feel about the book without giving up too much, okay? Okay. Um, So when I finished the first half, I did make some notes. Um, I thought it was very interesting. We did not go um, into it, but a few things stuck out to me. Uh, For one of their anniversaries, I believe, Isabel gifts Tom with a map of the island that she's Mm hand-drawn, and she's named the spots around the island. Some of the names have Tom in them, like Tom's Lookout or whatever. Mm -hmm. And while he loves the gift, it's actually very thoughtful. I mean, obviously, he is uncomfortable with claiming any part of the land, even ceremoniously. This land does not belong to him. And so the map makes him a little uneasy. This is great, great expert foreshadowing of how Isabel has no problem claiming what is not hers. And Tom does. He is very much about just Isabel and his duty. Everything else is out of his hands and does not belong to him. Mm. Also, they're both like oceans as we learn their backstory, where they come from, the trauma they hold and the things that they celebrate in their life. And this child becomes like the light between them. Mm -hmm. What will happen when that light, if ever it goes out? Uh, This is great. I hate when characters are brought in for no reason and then kind of like thrown in in the middle like hey remember uh juju here juju again i love that and you're like okay i didn't need that 
But to have Hannah be the one so intricately tied to this story, to the story of the couple. And that's the woman he saved in the beginning of the book. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it was good. It was good. So then I'm like, well, do I continue and completely go against all my duties to the List Society podcast, which I co-founded with my dear friend Alexis? Yes, I do. No, you don't. You wait. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking out for me. (laughs) So then I basically finished the book. uh, Yeah. So, so far I'm like, "Mm, very good. And this is a book where and in the if you're not in the right mood, this is boring, right, Alexis? What do you say? So absolutely, absolutely. If you listen to it, it's especially boring. I don't like mm. the reader. Mm. So I chose to take in this book on Audible, actually Libby, which is the free library app. Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys, you know how to get free books? Libby and Hoopla. We love them. Yeah, love them. Um, so anyway, Libby, which is tied to your library card, is how I got the audiobook, And I love it. You love the <laughs> so audiobook? I, love I really do. I don't. It's hard. There are times in it. There are times in it where he's putting a little bit of his emotion in it, like Isabel did something, and the reader audibly sighs. <laughs> and I feel like I'm reading it with a homie. Like, yes, I named him. His name is Edward. And me and Edward are sick of Isabel's games. However, Tom is a grown man and needs to be held accountable for his actions. So, yeah, but but if you're not in the right mood, this book could be a little Moby Dickish. Like it's got some great lines in there. But do you really want to know about fishing? Do you really want to know about how to keep a lighthouse? Do you? But in the right mood, this is the greatest book you ever read. So it's interesting like that. Anyway, that's my verdict so far, if we can call it that. That's how I feel. What about you, Alexis? So the, um, you know, after listening to a book, it is hard that you feel is boring. You need the interjection of something else. So there's a lot of good things in this book. You know, the storytelling is great. Don't listen to it. But Kari loves it. So I don't know. Maybe we got different readers, uh, narrators. Mm-hmm. That's true, too. Maybe uh, the person reading my book, I pro- they're probably the same. But maybe they different readers. <laughs> yes, I like literally want to take a nap. But there, there's the there's ex- the excitement in here. There's the the baby at the beginning. There's the um, the meetup at the uh, at the church where the baptism the excitement Mm -hmm. of the chase there's a lot of exciting things in here um that makes it enjoyable thus far i'll say that and the way family relationships are described Mm. the love story of tom and isabel very well Mm -hmm. done you buy it Mm -hmm. you buy it yep um and how they love each other differently you also buy uh their faults you see uh the motivations for their actions again very clear. Uh, someone asked Tom what Bluey, I think, which is one of the men that come up on uh, this boat yeah. uh, periodically, asked Tom, what is it like to be a dad? And Tom says, it's a sneak attack. Yeah. It attacks you from the inside out. You don't even see it coming. I love that. And that's how he fell in love with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this reminded me of, I believe, a show called Push. I think that's where they were pushing people off the ledge at the end. <laughs> but uh, that show really illustrated oh. how one lie, Ugh. if you can lie about one 
thing. I cannot stress this enough. Yikes. If you lie about little things throughout your day, you could kill someone. <laughs> Mm. You are. It is just one push to another push to another push. Mm, I got to be careful with that. Mm. <laughs> OK, so I think this was a great reminder that when it never compromise the truth, there is never a reason to compromise the truth. And I hope I'm saying that with my full chest. Now, that don't mean we have never been untruthful ever in our life. We're not perfect people, but it's never worked out for the best mm. because you always want to be able to stand 10 toes down in what you say and do never Never, never water down or never compromise on the truth and never back down from what you feel is your moral obligation mm. for anybody. Mm -hmm. Just really well illustrated. Yeah, that's how I feel so far. <laughs> so we both, I, I think, have two different feelings about this book right now. Oh, no, I'm enjoying the book. Oh, okay. Once you got over the narrator being so boring, yeah, you was like, yeah, this yeah. is a good book when I'm reading it. And, and <laughs> I then, know that's right, Exactly. <laughs> and then when you talk back about it, that adds to the excitement. That happens to me in a lot of books. Um, mm -hmm. I have a decision and then I change it because I've um, listened to the retelling of it. And it sounds mm -hmm. better than the way I read it in my head. Mm -hmm. So... That's so that's a big reason why I love uh, book clubs where people actually read the mm -hmm. book because you can get something completely different. So I really wish we had like a live element. Maybe we'll do that in the future. But I want to know what y'all think of the book so far. Please message us, email us, uh, DM us. Let us know what you're feeling about Tom and Isabel, the decision they made and where you expect it to go next week. Yeah. Like, what do you expect to happen? That would be great. Well, you know what? That comes out with people reading it and they might reveal too much. Ugh. Yeah, if y'all read it and y'all know, don't tell us. But I know when I was reading this book, I had an idea of what would happen. Well, and it's it's that didn't happen. <laughs> don't see this is too much. Cut it short in the show. Hurry up. I'm done. <laughs> no, so what do you think is gonna happen in part two? Um so I'm just because I haven't read part two. So right. I am thinking it's going to um, the way it's right written. I feel like Isabel is going to keep the baby. And then what's going to happen to poor Hannah? She just go on with her life. Miserable. Mm. Mm. Mm -mm. We'll see. That's it. Come on now, end the show. Because I think I feel like you're going to say something. Go on now. Well, thank you for that, Alexis. And of course, what are we reading next week? Part two The Light Between Oceans. Thank you all for listening to the Lit Society podcast with your hosts, Kari Herrera and Alexis Sanaria. We. We invite you to leave a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love our show. We love, we love you, you too. too. On Spotify also, we invite you to uh, leave a review, five stars, and also a comment. You can do that over there on Spotify. Visit LitSocietyPod.com to sign up for our email newsletter. It's amazing. And please share our show with at least one person you know who you think would enjoy it. And until next time, next Thursday, read, read something. something.